Hello, Marie Brockness. Hello. You are a guest at our faculty uh, for the conference of women in PDEs. And yesterday you gave a, a very um, enthusiastic talk about the things you do at Simula, uh, which is a company for research uh, just outside Oslo. And uh, in a way, what you wanted to show, at least according to your talk and what I got from it, uh, was uh, that it's really important to care for the types of numerical tools which we use because they are applied in circumstances where it really matters. Mm -hmm. So you really need uh, robust solvers and um, also kind of um, tools to measure what you're doing. And on the other hand, you would like to give... Um, tools to persons using the software which really work in any circumstances so and um, the first example which was the example which was really touching me the most because it's concerned with fluid flow in a place yeah. where I never thought about fluid flow happening is a cerebral fluid flow and um, maybe that's a good point to start uh, the conversation about your research so what is the um, process you would like to cover with the help of numerical school, uh, tools, uh, which um, is cerebral fluid flow? So um, the brain uh, is a, a, a soft matter, a soft material. It is consists of um, brain cells, different type of brain cells. And these cells are filled with... Um, cell material and with fluid and there is also fluid in the space between the cells the so-called extracellular space and this is a water-like fluid um, it's called uh, when it's in the tissue it's called interstitial fluid if it's outside the tissue it's called cerebrospinal fluid but essentially it's it's like water and the brain is also in a way, lies in a bath of the cerebrospinal fluid. Um, and the process I'm interested in, in modeling and in simulating is how um, and if there's a circulation of cerebrospinal fluid and or interstitial fluid within the brain tissue. Um, the reason why this is interesting is because one thinks that The brain does not have any traditional lymphatics, any traditional lymphatic system, which we do have in the rest of the body. There, the lymphatic system plays the role of transporting waste, um, solids, metabolic waste, out of the tissue. Um, yeah, usually, but, we don't really feel that. Um, even uh, Only if it doesn't work, we feel it very hardly. Exactly. That, yeah. But um, in the brain, there's... It's unclear what the the mechanisms are. We don't have any traditional lymphatics. So there's different hypotheses. Um, and one of the hypotheses is that there is solids move in the brain mainly by diffusion in these fluids. Some believe that there's highways where fluids can flow along blood vessels. Uh, and others believe that there's fluids that flows convectively through the tissue. And this is the type of modeling and simulation that I'm interested in looking at and trying to find um, at least some answers to these questions using mathematical modeling rather than experimental or clinical techniques. So in a way, you are more interested in finding out what kinds of movements um, are really thinkable in the geometry and with the material properties you have. Yes, um, and we can and we can test various hypotheses. Um, maybe we will not 
uh, create a completely new hypothesis. Maybe we'll do that as well, but we can see if if a clinician or an experimentalist make an hypothesis, we think it's like this. We can at least test that hypothesis based on the kind of the governing laws of physics and see whether this is plausible or not. Mm. Just to have an idea about the scale, so how much um, volume or thickness of the um, is there possible for the fluid to flow? So, you know. so I guess the the human brain is about ten centimeters by ten centimeters by ten centimeters, kind of very That's very roughly, right? A rough approximation, but it's good enough, I think. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's surrounded by. It, actually, it's it's very hard to measure these things. So there's only a few things that are really known qualitative, um, qualitatively and quantitatively. But what we do know is that during each, the brain um, expands and contracts a little bit each heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And there's about maybe one um, cubic centimeter, so one because that would be one milliliter yeah. of fluid that's displaced from the brain and down into the spinal uh, space. So the space surrounding your uh, spinal cord and up again each heartbeat. So these are small these are small volumes and these are slow fluid processes. Uh, there's uh, probably not very... Inside the brain tissue, there's no turbulent flow. So it's it's pretty small. And people don't actually know, as I said, if there is a fluid flow and how fast it would flow. Mm. Yes, it's also kind of um, and hard, uh, imaginable for me to have a fast flow because this would probably interact with the tissue of the brain and then uh, things would happen that you kind of recognize things which <laughs> which are not related to what you see or what you hear or what you feel, but with what happens around your brain. Yeah. And Well, at the same time, you know, blood, there's the flow of blood in the blood vessels throughout yeah. the brain, right? And blood flows surprisingly, uh, yeah. surprisingly fast. So if there are compartments that are kind of somehow closed compartments, then you can have a... Surrounded by relatively uh, stiff walls, then you can have a mm. right, that's certain true. flow. Yeah. But we are so used to this noise which our blood is making that we don't really notice it. Yeah. No. yeah. So in, in which way um, do you go on um, doing these kind of numerical experiments? Do you have uh, very precise geometrical data or um, how do you model that? So that's a, that's a mix of different things. So we do so just for basic testing, we do things on very idealized, very simple geometries like squares, which you can imagine as a part of the tissue. Or um, we like using so-called annulus, mm -hmm. uh, which is a representative because it's a very simplified but idealized representation of the brain. Because there's kind of open spaces in the middle; they're called ventricles, and then you have kind of the surrounding but then we can also go to complex you know um, kind of patient specific geometries of a full brain um, on the macro scale so that would be kind of a mm -hmm. complete brain with all the folds and everything or in the micro scale you would get extreme can get extremely detailed data of a part of tissue with all the cells and the blood vessels and in extreme detail yes and then you would um solve um um 
Navier-Stokes equations for that or something more simplified or maybe um, equations we are, which are adapted to the situation that it's really a thin layer of flow only, so like something homogenized? So we're, um, um, we're mainly using uh, homogenized uh, models on the macro scale. So, and you can more think of it as, uh, as flow in a porous media mm-hmm. rather than free flow. So now your Stokes equations describe free flow, free flow uh, yeah. right? Uh, but we're looking at more so-called Darcy flow properties, which describes the flow through a, through a porous medium where you have obstacles to the flow. And here, what represents the obstacles are the brain cells themselves. Uh, and we also assume that there's, since there's some expansion of the brain, the brain is also elastic. So we couple kind of poroelastic flow. And these are known as Biot's equations, are the classical model. And we also consider generalizations of those equations. Mm-hmm. And in which direction can you generalize? Of course, you know, the thing is, uh, which probably not everybody knows, is that in a way Darcy and Bios, they take a kind of the first approximation step to see if things are moving, they have one main reason to move. Mm-hmm. And and going from there, there are so many possibilities to generalize. That's why for me, it's kind of the standard thing immediately to ask and to be curious about mm-hmm. in what direction can you go uh, to make it more general. So you could go in many directions, yeah. considering non-linearities and so on and so yeah. forth. That's not uh, what we do. Uh, but so what we do is that um, is reflects the type of hypothesis we'd like to test mm-hmm. and the type of um, biology or physiology we'd like to model. So some of these hypotheses of how fluid flows in the brain assumes that there's uh, maybe some high-speed flow in spaces surrounding blood vessels. So you have the brain, you have blood vessels on the surface of the brain, and you also have blood vessels penetrating into the brain. Uh, and there's this idea that there may be some compartments surrounding these blood vessels that are filled with fluid, and maybe there's a faster, high, higher speed of fluid in those. So that gives us essentially maybe three compartments. You have one compartment that's the elastic tissue, and you have one compartment that's... Uh, the extracellular space, and maybe you have a third compartment that's um, spaces surrounding blood vessels, and maybe even a more compartments that you want to represent the blood. Mm. Uh, and you can generalize Bios equations in that you don't, Bios equations in a way represent one fluid compartment, but we, what we do is that we add multiple fluid departments, each with different properties, different characteristics of the compartment, like permeabil- different permeabilities. Mm. And but then you have to think how to couple them. Yes, yes, uh, and that's a that's a modeling uh, question. What's been done in the literature so far is mainly kind of a hydrostatic coupling, so a difference in pressures between the department lead to flow from the one to the yeah. other. Yeah, this uh, sounds so easy, but usually numerically done, this is kind of the hardest stuff to keep the pressure in check. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, after kind of uh, discussing the modeling part. Um, if you want to solve it in the computer and do the numerics, what are the typical steps to do that and where it starts to get hard? Right. So um, let's just take Bios question. Mm-hmm. So, so what we would do with that is that we would drive, um, look at a, a, a discretization or so a numerical method for solving these equations in, in space and in time. 
uh, and I'm from a group working with uh, finite element methods for spatial discretization, so I care a lot about the spatial discretization. So we typically do something quite simple for the temporal discretion, like a first or second order standard implicit Euler, Crank-Nicholson type scheme. And then for the spatial discretization, uh, we typically do uh, solve things uh, fully coupled, so we use mixed finite element methods for uh, for approximating the displacement. So that's how much the brain would expand uh, and the um, fluid pressure. Yes, mixed means you choose uh, one scheme for um, a subset of the cells in which you are calculating, and another scheme on on the other ones. No, it does not actually. <laughs> so it means that. Um, Uh, it means so mixed refers to the fact that you you approximate two different uh, functions or two different fields uh, that live in the entire domain. They li both live everywhere simultaneously, and you can use different spaces, different um, both continuous spaces and discrete finite element spaces for those. And it can be more than two, of course. It can be an arbitrary number of such different variables. But the key is that you approximate them at the same time. So this would be, if I translate this to my fluid background, yeah. like the, doing velocity and pressure at the same moment. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, of course, with this we also. But the thing is that with this incompressibility, our pressure always makes kind of funny things. <laughs> yes. So this, well, that has to do with uh, with numerical stability, right? So um, some uh, when in these mixed finite element methods, you need to be careful with how you couple uh, the finite element spaces you choose. In the case of uh, fluid or Navier-Stokes, you mm. know, for the velocity and the pressure. In the case of BO, for the displacement and the pressure. And if you choose this wrong, then you may get either completely wrong solutions, you may get not a solution, or you might get solutions that are just subtly wrong. And that is why there's a lot, there's a rich set of things here to study mathematically, right, where you can prove that these things will give things that are, give you the correct answer and not something that's subtly wrong, which may be difficult to identify in practice. Yeah, because it looks okay, at least qualitatively. Yeah. And quantitatively is um, hard to check, and then you can't really know if it's right or wrong. Right. So that's yeah. why you would like to use these methods that are, you know are are robust, that that you can prove that they will give you the right answer. Mm. So are there conditions like I know for Navier-Stokes like um, Babushka-Prezibedingung um, condition in yeah. English, uh, so that you know um, how to really choose these mixed ansatzes? That's that's exactly that. So this. Um, What's sometimes called the Babuska Bretzi, sometimes the Ladishenska Babuska Bretzi, yeah, <laughs> sometimes the Infsup LVB condition. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so there's actually two conditions, uh, and this is really what most of the kind of is the foundations for the theory of mixed finite element methods. So you have these two conditions uh, that you need to in a way to check for. Uh, Uh, for your discretization to be stable, or vice versa, you need to design your discretization so Such that these uh, conditions hold. Mm. And usually, the reason why in fluid dynamics in the context of Navier-Stokes, they just refer to one, is that one of the conditions, the other condition is automatically fulfilled for the uh, for incompressible Stokes or mm. incompressible Navier-Stokes. So. Yes. And um, how is the connection? Of course, you know, 
just maybe I, I should go a step back was too fast in asking. Um, you already referred to the fact you make spatial and temporal uh, discretization and the spatial discretization is with finite elements. Mm -hmm. So you choose for your finite elements how big you uh, do all the, for example, triangles or the cells mm -hmm. in which you are calculating. So this is kind of the um, har um, main characterization for the fineness of the mm -hmm. grid. Um, and mostly... Um, depending on the equations, of course, but um, this fineness of the grid is also connected to uh, how far you can take the time steps in mm -hmm. order to really follow uh, the development of the equation in time. Do you have um, such kind of um, conditions in your research as well? It depends on the numerical scheme yeah. used for the time discretization, of course. Um, so this if you're is using something that's you know completely uh, as stable as it yeah. gets, then you don't. But uh, with with other things that are only partially stable, then you do get a condition that couples the time step and the yeah. mesh size as well. But I think maybe it's important to emphasize that this, as I, as we talked about earlier, that the this. If there's a flow within the brain, then this flow is a is a slow brain and uh, sorry a slow, slow flow. flow, and then it's uh, it's it's kind of a more diffusive process rather than uh, so yes, the time scale in itself is not so fast. It's not so fast, and you don't get I don't think you get shocks. Yeah. there might be, but <laughs> I think I think that's un, un uh, unlikely. Yeah don't have to take that as, as the starting assumption. You could maybe be surprised at one point in the future that there is something. But okay. So in what direction uh, would you like to um, make um, kind of the standard setting in which you're working better? So what's the, the process you are following for um, going further on from what you have at the moment? Right. So... Uh, so at the moment, so these are these are very new things. Um, this is a process, as I said. There's a, there's controversy in the physiological community, and there's been actually surprisingly little mathematical modeling in the marks done in this field. So at the moment, uh, we're pursuing different different paths. One part is, is simply to understand discretizations of these generalized biotype equations that I mentioned mm. better in a way, as a standalone mathematical project. Another branch is to try to do more um, accurate modeling and to understand how we can use the clinical data that we have as input into our model to try to understand what are the modeling choices we should make, how should we, uh, what should be the driving forces for this flow. Uh, it should be imagined that this is... Um, Should there be kind of volumetric forces inside corresponding to the blood in the brain? Or should there be uh, forces prescribed as boundary conditions corresponding to the kind of the blood on the surface of the brain? Uh, and so on. And that's really challenging at the moment. So that's taken us, I would say, a lot longer than uh, we expected in the beginning. Yes, and it's also kind of non-standard to have to think about these things. Um, I like to think about these things myself, but um, there's not really courses at university which uh, tell you how to do these things. No, <laughs> at least at least as a math as a mathematician mm. with a little with a limited training in kind of physics, then uh, I this, I'm 
there's a bit of a trial and error uh, in this process. Yes. And also, even, you know, I'm, I'm strongly collaborating with a person who has um, physical training um, mm -hmm. as kind of diploma finish and then made her PhD in mathematics. So she still considers herself to be a physicist and then she's always kind of putting me on earth for my mathematical stupidity. <laughs> But uh, also in discussions, discussions with her, I am always kind of surprised how rough the approximations are. Okay. And then uh, coming from, from these rough approximations, which are like, you know, things are approximately like that. Of course, yeah. this works for a certain um, time step for, for getting further knowledge. But then uh, if you are doing things like you're prescribing uh, with uh, such interesting geometry, mm -hmm. there is not really experience with that and how to work without experience, making rough approximations. It's, um, I think it's really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what would be um, your hope or your dream uh, to do uh, maybe during the next two or three years? Um, um, of course, you know, kind of in between the line, you already told that you would like to better understand um, the model in itself. But uh, what are the steps you want to take now and hope to be preparing for things you want to do with the help of mathematics? So I think my timeline is that I, I in a way, I have a, maybe a, a five-year timeline. So I have this new um, ERC starting grant project that's just starting now, which is a five-year term. So I think that's my... By then, I hope that we've established enough of the mathematics and the numerics so that we can really start targeting clinically and experimentally relevant settings. But on the way there, um, one kind of immediate goal would be to, I really hope that we would be able to advance uh, our understanding of, of the data and the modeling so that we can um, we can run simulations that we, we believe uh, reflect what happened in the brain. Uh, at least, at, at least as, a, as a first approximation. Um, mm. So that's an important point. I also would really like to... Um, Uh, start diving into kind of the multi-scale features of this. Uh, so part of the goal of the project is to couple what happens at the macro scale, so that's a complete tissue level, with what happens on the meso scale, so that would be the blood vessels and spaces surrounding the blood vessels, and what happens at the micro scale, so that would be the cellular level, with what happens at the cells, um, differences in concentrations, osmotic pressures, and that's a whole different kind of whole different physics again so we're trying to combine the kind of the fluid mechanics with some of the chemical electrophysiology and that is that is also completely new so uh, we'll see how that goes but i hope to make some headway on there and third um th there's also a, a software a finite element software component to this project as i'm involved in this project called the phoenix project for development of which is a finite element software project and we would like to be able to extend the functionality of this software um, especially targeting some of these um, models that we expect to encounter in the multi-scale uh, setting uh, of the brain especially where you would have like line you want to compute things on one-dimensional lines embedded in a three-dimensional tissue for instance uh, and that's something very hard to do with the computational tools that exist today Yeah, 
because um, you can do a lot of things in finite elements, but you should avoid to make the elements too thin. Yes. <laughs> yes, and this always gives you a lot of trouble. And with the line, what you have to come come up with completely new ideas there, I think. Yes, and it's also, uh, the mathematically, the theory is quite different for for 1D in, in 3D versus 2D in 3D. Mm. If you just have one dimension jump, uh, that adds interestingness and it adds complications. But when they add kind of a jump of two dimensions, then it really, a lot of the theory falls apart. So uh, I think that's a very exciting to work on. It's very optimistic as an approach. Uh, we had this yeah. discussion also with a type um, topologist that um, with going from one to three, um, there is so much wildness yeah. in what can happen uh, compared to just having one dimension difference yeah. that um, it could make your mind explode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this kind no, of idea no. that uh, there are also things which it's um, you kind of oversee with the imagination you have from everyday life. So kind of, so you have to be really thorough with mathematical understanding what's happening. Um, of course, um, listening to the lecture uh, about these um, flow things in the brain, uh, I was starting um, to ask myself, so how um, can you end up doing these kinds of questions? So where was the point uh, when you got interested in this type of questions? So, or were prepared to be um, educated that you were considered to be able to do these things. Right. So I, I'm glad you asked because it's actually quite. Um, I like this. I like the story for this. So, so I'm trained as an applied mathematician doing mixed finite element methods, uh, but not very, um, not very applied in the sense that I didn't really have one application area that I cared very deeply about. But then I was at home uh, on maternity leave for six months in 2013. And then there was a big uh, spread in one of the Norwegian uh, tabloid newspapers where the researchers have now solved the sleep mystery. <laughs> and uh, it picked up my attention because I was... I wasn't sleeping that much uh, at this time, and I was very much interested in sleep. And it turned out that this newspaper were referring to a paper in, um, in science, uh, which was an experimental uh, medical paper, where the researchers had been studying brain activity uh, in, during sleep, and in particular experiments with sleeping mice, and they'd been looking at how this flow in the brain changes during sleep. Uh, and I... Well, first I became just very interested in this topic and I thought it was rather fascinating. And then I thought, oh, this must be something we can model. This must be something we can simulate. And that really, um, that was just an idea that um, that I got. And uh, I, I, I kept on, kept on with this idea. So uh, I started developing it further to make it kind of more concrete what reading up what is known, what is not known, both from the physiological viewpoint and also from the numerics and the mathematical viewpoint. And then I wrote um, first one proposal to the Norwegian Research Council for a research project for this, mm -hmm. and then also a proposal to the, the European Research Council, and then they were both funded. So uh, now I have okay, two research projects on, on the numerics of uh, fluid flow in the brain. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I think the journalist writing this uh, article uh, never imagined that. No. 
<laughs> a whole research project can spark from uh, catching the attention of the audience yeah. because they probably expect people to read it and then forget about it the next day <laughs> because then they have to provide another interesting story which yeah. again catches yeah. the audience. But this was a this was a good uh, this was a good I guess a serendipity is the word uh, for me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you decided uh, to become a mathematician. Um, some time after you finished school, why uh, seemed this uh, an interesting career choice for you? So I've always liked mathematics, um, physics, chemistry. Um, and originally I planned to study chemistry when I studied university, but I'm not very good with la experiments and writing lab reports, especially the lab reports. So um I, and everyone who starts kind of studying physics or chemistry starts with an introductory course in mathematics and an introductory course in, in computer science and programming when we studied at the University of Oslo. And so, well, partly I, I like the mathematics and that was a natural way, but I also really liked the programming. That was not something I had done before. Uh, and I thought that was uh, extremely satisfactory because you, you get this, it's a very concrete problem and you solve it and it works. And uh, it's yeah. instant feedback. It's rewarding if it's it works. Re yeah. Yeah. So that's... Uh, and then I I kind of continued on in that direction with mathematics and computer uh, science. And then you, you end up in applied math and scientific computing, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, and what was the topic of your, of your thesis then? Oh, oh, my PhD thesis? Mm -hmm. So my topic, uh, it's titled Mixed Finite Element Methods for so, Viscoelasticity in Gels. Mm -hmm. So it's a study of these type of methods, but for, for slightly different materials, but still, kind of, and mm -hmm. different equations. Yeah, but um, nevertheless already uh, kind of coupling the elasticity in this, yeah. which is still also a very open field of how to model that. Yeah. Um, maybe a question uh, to the conference. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what is your, your main um, feeling or the main thing Uh, emotion you will take away from the conference we had here. I think it was quite a kind of short and very concentrated, mm -hmm. uh, having one day and a half. Um, but um, um, for me, working here and having the conference here, so many new people showed up, mm -hmm. which is always kind of very nice for me. So um, you showing up here at our place, so how did it feel for you? I thought it was lovely. Well, the conference is, is extremely well organized. And I think that's maybe two, two main things uh, kind of, um, that I've experienced. Well, first, I thought it was just, it struck me that it was so lovely to see so many young, relatively young f um, female members of the audience. You're not used when you're sitting listening to talks in this group, you know, you're usually surrounded by uh, maybe... 80-90% men and it was just fun to see so many young uh, and talented women in the audience so I really appreciate that and the second thing was so we had this fishbowl discussion uh, uh, yesterday uh, which maybe you can say some more about if if it's the, if, if we should <laughs> so the, the theme of the discussion was yeah. how to plan the career if you are a female mathematician And um, of course, the hope was that the persons who already got to certain uh, advanced points in their career could give them advice and uh, the younger ones can ask questions or provide experience they have and um, ask for how to behave or what to expect at certain uh, career steps. 
And um, what I found really nice about that, uh, that um, I didn't really have the feeling that there was some kind of hierarchy. So everybody was contributing freely and um, I liked that very much. Yeah, so that's what I also, I really liked that uh, that discussion. I, I think it uh, ended up rather well. And because it's not always easy, this so it's a form of a panel discussion, right? But mm. I think it's not easy to make good panel discussions, especially among mathematicians. I think where there's usually a there's a true or a false, so there's a limited amount of things that to to discuss in a way. But this, I think, was a, a format that was very suited for kind of open discussion and sharing of advice and ideas. So yeah, I like that. I'll I'll try doing that again. I think. Yeah, the funny thing is that, of course, I came home quite late because of the panel and then um, discussing later on uh, about things like that. And then um, my husband asked me, so uh, how are you feeling? What do you bring from work? And I was like, the first answer which came to mind was, so we decided all to move to Norway. Yes. <laughs> and then he was kind of questioning, looking to me, what should what she wants to tell me with that. Oh, this is kind of uh, just making fun of a discussion which was not that easy. There were also kind of parts where you have a look at uh, an experience of like 20 or 25 years and you don't really see so much things developing in a better direction. And then you see these young faces which have this development still in front of them and hoping for them it will be a better experience. Without going to Norway, <laughs> so maybe well, you can come to Norway we as well. Could come to so. Norway as well. No, but it's always, you know, it's also good um, to take some of the examples and make of them whatever is adaptable to to our circumstances. Because nothing, I think, for my in my opinion, nothing is worse than saying there is no alternative, and you are just dreaming things up which are not realizable. But if you can point to to some space in time or in um, really in space where things are done differently this is always kind of a good argument to make them stop uh, saying these stupid things that we shouldn't change a thing and I guess that's why um, I think usually my viewpoint in this type of discussion is is try to have kind of a constructive outlook on yeah. things uh, maybe there are some uh, examples of things that do work uh, of um, cultural changes that work or actions f- from the system that work uh, and one can try to adopt these uh, and to try to kind of have a constructivist uh, perspective on things yes and also as mathematicians we know that sometimes things which develop along an exponential development which kind of says things um, move very fast after a certain time that my 25 years might have been at this beginning near zero where you don't really see something moving so very much so it looks almost linear or not moving at all and then just waiting long enough you see things explode yeah we just hope for the best but thank you very much for coming to Karlsruhe giving this interesting talk and also taking the time uh, to have this conversation it's my pleasure thank you